Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Everything that happens, happens within the determined will of God. And the idea of luck and the philosophy of chance robs our God of His glory. There are no accidents when it comes to the Christian's life, only appointments. When it comes to some of the practices we're warned about in Scripture, do you ever wonder whether there's any real harm in them? Most of us have had our share of doubts from time to time. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy looks at one such prohibition and explains why gambling is such a big deal. We're continuing a practical study in the book of Proverbs, and today we'll learn about the practical and theological hazards of gambling with a message titled, All Bets Are Off. If you need to listen on your own time, you'll find it online at ktt.org. Here's Philip. Just this past week, I read the story of a man who was brought up by his grandmother who was a staunch Southern Baptist. From his earliest years, he was basically frog-marched to church and the Sunday school every Lord's Day, come rain, come shine. So you can imagine the confusion of this dear woman when he switched to the Episcopal church after he married In fact, she was so flabbergasted, she cornered him one day and said, son, what is wrong with the Baptist church? He answered, well, when Carol and I got married, we flipped the coin to see which church we would go to, hers or mine, and I lost. And hearing that, Teal, the old woman replied, serves you right. Good Baptists don't gamble. I agree with that statement. Good Baptists don't gamble. Good Baptists don't gamble because they believe gambling to be bad. Without apology, they consider and catalog gambling for money as a sin. Gambling as a philosophy attacks the very existence and sovereignty of God. And gambling as a practice attacks God's sovereignty, wastes His gifts, undermines the virtue of work, causes men to do harm to their neighbor, feeds upon covetousness, breeds crime, ruins homes, enslaves souls, and exploits the weak in our society. No good comes of gambling. That's why good Baptists don't gamble. In fact, what's true of Baptists is true of all good Christians in general. My study brought me to see that the evangelical church has consistently throughout its history sought to be a bulwark against rampaging and the ruinous effects of gambling. The church of Jesus Christ throughout history has not blinked to see the evil in this practice and has been quick to loudly warn of its immediate and then its ultimate costs. Let me just give you a sampling of the quotes I was able to get together uh, for my paper. Tertullian was a church father who lived in the third century, and he states concerning gambling, quote, if you say you are a Christian when you are a dice player, you say you are what you are not, for you're a partner with the world. 
Winding forward to the 16th century, there's no let up with the Christian church's opposition to gambling, as we can see in this quote from the Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, quote, no one gambles with another in order to give away to the other what is his own, for he could do that without gambling, nor in order to lose what is his own, nor in order to seek the gain of the other man as though it were his own. That is, this is why gambling is always contrary to love and is motivated by greed because a man seeks to the harm of another what does not belong to him. On top of that, I learned that John Calvin, who established the Reformation in the city of Geneva in Switzerland, he banned gambling from the entire city. In the early days of the United States, Cotton Mather, one of the um, New England Puritans, preached against gambling as a denial of God's providential control seems to me in the light of the uh, gambling fever that has caught America that the church needs to find its voice once again. Gambling is now America's favorite pastime. Today, more than half the states have casinos and 48 states allow some form of legalized gambling. The epidemic of gambling has now penetrated every corner of American culture with the expansion of state lotteries, casino gambling, and internet gaming. Let me help you grasp, just to set uh, a framework for our thinking, the, the scope of the expansion of the gambling industry just in the last 10 years. In fact, the statistics tell us that Americans gamble more money today each year than they spend on groceries. In 1970, there was an estimated 1 million gambling addicts in America. Today, the number has skyrocketed to between 12 to 15 million, and the figure is climbing. If you add the compound impact of that to, say, near family members or the workplace, it is estimated that gambling as a pathological and problematic pattern of life is affecting about 60 million people in America today. That's six cities the size of Los Angeles. That's the breadth of this kind of problem. In fact, I read a paper that was put out by James Dobson's ministry. He was part of a national commission that, that showed many, many things in terms of the negative impact and effects of gambling. He says that there is a mountain of evidence now demonstrating the fact that there is a direct link between problematic and pathological gambling and divorce, child abuse, domestic violence, bankruptcy, crime, especially theft and suicide. Listen to these words from uh, John Piper, author and pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. He says this, quote, put your ears on here. In 2001, Americans wagered 57 billion on lotteries, 18 billion on horses and dogs, 592 billion in casinos, 150 billion in other gambling farms. Did you do the math? 817 billion dollars were spent in 2001 on the issues of gaming and gambling. He goes on to say this, if you break it down to individuals, say in a state like Massachusetts, Massachusetts sells more than $500 worth of lottery tickets each year for every man, woman, and child in their state. Think how many do not gamble, and you will begin to imagine what thousands are thrown away to have a 1 to 135 million chance for the jackpot. 
studies show us, moving in another direction, that 95% of Americans have gambled at some time in their lives. 82% have played the lottery. 75% have played slot machines. 50% have bet on horses or dogs. 44% play cards. 34% play bingo. 26% have bet on a sports event. 74% have frequented casinos. And 89% approve of casino gambling. You can see why I think the church needs to find its voice in today's culture when it comes to the issue of gambling. This fever is spreading like a plague. And as a trap and as a temptation, it entices both the young and the old. Gambling is not just the pastime of adults, but teenagers and even children now are being targeted to be captured by its snare. According to the commissioner of that national commission, James Dobson, he says that 85% of our young people have already gambled on everything from card games to sports teams to casinos to lotteries. Worse is the fact that 15% of them are now developing a problem, an addiction when it comes to gambling. But it's not only the teens that are being enticed to gamble. At the other end of the spectrum, statistics are showing that the gambling industry targets their sites on senior citizens, many of which have a lot of disposable capital who have got a lot of free time on their hands, and so they are good picking for the casinos. Erwin Lutzer, in his book, Seven Snares of Satan, says this, casinos hire tour companies to arrange low-cost trips to gather senior citizens from various areas and bring them to the nearest casino. For example, some 9 million people a year are brought to Atlantic City by casino buses. And Sunday is their busiest day of the week. Many seniors who have been lured there by the fantasy are ashamed to come back to church. There are some 600 casinos in 26 states. He then quotes up Pat Fowler, the executive director of the Orlando-based Florida Council on Compulsive Gambling, who says, quote, who else will pick you up at your home? take you to engage in an exciting activity in a safe environment, give you lunch, call you by name, and make you feel important. Our society sees seniors primarily as disposable, and this industry has picked up on that. A casino in Iowa gives older club members a 50% discount on their prescription drugs. They're trying everything and anything to push people through the doors of casinos. This is a tremendous trap. It's a tremendous temptation in our culture. And therefore, I want to address it because the Bible does not stutter or stammer when it comes to this issue. I hope to give you six principles that I believe will challenge you should you have not concluded that gambling is bad. I'll give you six principles that I think will convince you, if you're open-minded at all, that gambling is a bad bet. That a Christian worldview is concerned that all bets are off. Now, let me say this. There is no 11th commandment in the Bible when it comes to gambling. It is hard to find one verse that directly speaks to the issue. But that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't speak to the issue. There are principles, there are patterns, there are many issues the Bible doesn't deal with directly. But I think if you look at patterns and principles in the Word of God, you're going to see that the Bible, God's Word, diametrically opposes the idea of luck, the wasteful use of God-given resources, the exploitation of the poor, and material obsession on the part of people. 
We'll also see that this is a sin that multiplies itself with other sins. Now, I want us to look just for a few moments, and you'll, you'll want to track with me on this. I want us to consider what gambling is not and what gambling is. I'll try and give you a definition. I'll give you an original one from myself, but I'll give you a better one from a couple of Christian authors. But let's just start just for a few moments by way of further introduction, considering what it is not. Let me say this, that gambling is not the same as casting lots. This is a question you'll get. Well, someone will say in defense of gambling, well, you know what? Didn't they cast lots in the Bible? And we know that lots in the Bible were dice-like things that were made out of the knuckle bones of animals, probably sheep. And while they were used outside of the Bible for games of luck and chance, we do find them used in the Bible. But you need to be honest with the Word of God. Don't stretch the text. Don't make the Word of God say something it doesn't. You see, there's exegesis and there's eisegesis. Eisegesis is wonderful things in the Bible I see, most of them put there by you and by me. Let's do some exegesis. You're going to see that lots were cast, but they were used in the decision-making of God's people. In uh, 1 Samuel 10, verse 20 to 21, they were used to select Saul as king. In Numbers 26, 52 to 56, they were used to determine the, the, the division of the land of Canaan for the people of God. Interestingly, you'll find it used in the early part of the New Testament. In Acts chapter 1, verse 21 to 26, lots were cast to choose Matthias over uh, Judas, who was being replaced. Lots were cast both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but they were consistently cast simply as an act of decision-making. Because Proverbs 16, verse 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its decision is from the Lord. It was an ancient practice used to make decisions. It was a decision that recognized the sovereignty of God, even in the lie of the lot. Probably more akin to what we would, something like the pulling of straws. Interesting thing is that after the coming of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, the completion of the canon, we read nothing of the casting of lots after Pentecost because we've got the full revelation of God's Word. We've got the companionship and guidance of the Holy Spirit. But the point I simply want to make, should someone make that fallacious argument? Your answer to that is, of course, there were casting of lots, almost like the rolling of dice in the Bible. But there is not one verse in the Bible that shows that either a believer in the Old Testament or the New Testament cast lots for the gain of money through gambling. It was simply used as a decision-making process which became redundant following Pentecost. So, gambling is not the same as casting lots. Secondly, this is an important one, gambling is not the same as taking risks. I want you to understand that we're not against taking risks as Christians. In fact, life is full of risks. No man knows what tomorrow will bring. And the Bible is not against um, even investing with risk involved or insuring yourself against possible risks. We see um, in the parable of the talents, the Lord Jesus Christ was not against 
servants, taking what had been given to them and as good stewards, investing it and getting return on that money. In fact, his condemnation is for the servant who idly sat on his money. There's so many things in life that are full of risks. Farming is a risk. The Bible doesn't condemn farming. The farmer, you know, takes his seed, picks his field, sows it, waters it, tends to it, hoping that there won't be a blight, hoping that there won't be an early storm before the, 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 the harvest is, is brought in. There's risks involved in that. A farmer's fortune and future sometimes rides on a harvest being brought in at the right time. Life is full of risks. In fact, you and I could spend our money on a good education, in a good school, for a particular job in a very narrow market, and then the economy changes or the job trends change, and after four years, you've invested money in a job that's not as profitable and as necessary as you thought four years ago. Life is full of risks. And some people will point to that fact and say, then, Pastor, what's the difference between gambling and investing in the stock market? Is that not a risk? Yeah, both are risks, but there's a great difference between those two risks. When it comes to the stock market, there is risk involved. You can lose money on the stock market. But time has shown us that more people gain and prosper on the stock market than lose. You can compare that to gambling where most people lose and a very few gain. But that's not really the argument. The argument is I can look at a company, I can look at its past track record, I can look at the stability of the economy, I can get insight from investors and, and money managers, and I can make a calculated decision that will involve some risk to put my money in a certain company. But the difference is this. I apply my mind to that. I have to research. I have to weigh things up. There's a cognitive process involved. There are also out the risks have certain controllable elements to them, predictable factors to them. That is not the same as me putting 50 bucks on a craps table and waiting to see how the dice roll. I have no control over the roll of the dice. I do not have to use my mind. I do not have to involve, use discernment. I do not have to take in the counsel of others because the roll of the dice or the turn of the river card is absolutely random and indeterminative. And so it is not the same to say that investing in the stock market is the same as gambling in some Atlantic City casino. Gambling is not the same as casting lots, and gambling is not the same as taking justified risks, either in terms of insurance or investment. You're comparing apples with oranges. Which brings me to give you a definition of what gambling is. I took this from Kenneth Cancer, who used to um, be the editor of Christianity Today. He used to teach, I believe, at Trinity Evangelical School in Deerfield, Illinois. He says this, gambling is an artificially contrived risk taken for selfish gain at another person's expense with no constructive product or social good as its goal. Erwin Lutzer defines gambling, quote, stealing by mutual consent. And this is my definition. Gambling is an unnecessary risk with money that is not ultimately ours in games of chance for the purpose of bettering ourselves at the expense of our neighbor. Gambling's wrong, and it does wrong. To believe in luck 
is to believe that God does not exist. For if God does exist all-knowing and all-powerful as he is, then luck makes no sense. Things don't just happen. Do you believe in luck? In chance? In happenstance? I don't. I can't. The doctrine of our sovereign God teaches us that God rules or overrules all things. Hebrews 1.3, he upholds what? All things by the word of his power. Romans 8 verse 28, he works all things together for our good. John 1 verse 3, there was nothing made that he did not make. And I think that one of the verses that uh, a closer and a clincher on this is uh, Ephesians 1 verse 11. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The verb there works is in the present tense. It means to continually work, to go on in that activity. The verb there is teaching us that God is in charge of all things at all times. He does not get things started and then lets them go on their own. He is consistently, actively involved in our world and in our lives. Everything that happens, happens within the determined will of God. And the idea of luck and the philosophy of chance robs our God of His glory. There are no accidents when it comes to the Christian's life, only appointments. Even some of the most basic decisions in life reflect our view of God. We do well to think twice about gambling. This is Know the Truth, and you're listening to Pastor Philip DeCourcy with a message titled, All Bets Are Off. Replay this message at ktt.org or on the KTT app. And Philip will be back with more to share in a moment. If you're new to Know the Truth, welcome. We'd like to give you a free copy of Philip's new devotional booklet titled, Resting in God's Faithfulness, just for reaching out to us. Request your copy online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. Now, whether you have a loved one or a friend who's going through a loss, or if you could use some encouragement yourself, there's another resource we'd like you to have. It's titled, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God by Tim Challies. In this book, Tim shares real-time reflections from the first year of grief after losing his son, introducing readers to what he describes as the ministry of sorrow. Readers will learn how biblical doctrine can work itself out even in life's most difficult situations and discover how to pass through times of grief while keeping your faith. This resource is yours with a gift of any amount in support of Know the Truth. Just call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And on behalf of everyone at Know the Truth, thank you for playing a vital role in this ministry. It's the generosity of listeners like you that allows us to bring the hope of the gospel to radio stations around the country. Now, with a few more words, here again is Pastor Philip. Yes, I just want to take a moment to thank our listeners for their support of Know the Truth. At Know the Truth, we believe the Bible is the inerrant Word of God, full of life-changing power, and applicable to every aspect of our lives. And that's why in addition to this radio broadcast, we offer our listeners numerous resources, such as books, study guides, and other resources. You can find them over on our website at ktt.org. And while you're there, you'll also have access to our free sermon archive, 
where you can download and share full messages and entire series. And if you want a convenient way to listen on the go, you can download the useful KTT app directly from our site. You'll find the link on the homepage, as well as links to our social media channels, which make it easy for listeners to stay up to date on all things Know the Truth and easily share the gospel message with others. Because when you share KTT, you share gospel truth. And that's what this ministry is all about. I hope the resources here at Know the Truth encourage you and your loved ones to grow closer to God, equip you to serve Him with excellence, and prepare you for a glorious future in heaven. All right, thank you, Philip. And you'll find links to these resources and more at ktt.org. One more thing, if you'd like to stay up to date on news, events, and resources from Know the Truth, then connect with us on social media. You'll find us on most major platforms when you search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm Wayne Shepherd. So glad you joined us today. Come back tomorrow when Philip DeCourcy continues a message titled, All Bets Are Off. That's Wednesday here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.